Thank you for joining the online ministry of Little River Church. May you be blessed by the Word of God. As Christmas draws near, it often seems the world is anything but peaceful. How many can think back to January the 1st, 2020? Marked the beginning of a brand new decade that many looked at with optimism and as a chance at a chance at a new lease on life, yet 2020 hasn't gone as planned. Instead, we've witnessed murder hornets, wildfires, various natural disasters, airplane crashes, a deadly explosion in Beirut, social unrest, and let's not forget. A gigantic star two million times brighter than the sun just disappeared into a black hole. Anybody know that? And all this under a cloud of the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic that has led to an economic crisis, isolation, depression, and fear. But that's still not the end. Now our election process has reached a crescendo of pandemonium. And it seems like we can't trust anyone. The truth is, we haven't experienced this amount of uncertainty in some time. And if I had to sum it all up in one word, it would simply be chaos. Yet I believe it's the perfect time for Christians to express their faith boldly. And after all, God has an eternal perspective. He's the great I am who knows the past, the present, and the future. God knows how to deal with chaos. So no matter how terrible and impossible the situation appears, please hear me today. God has the final say. Don't stop the story just because of the scene we're in right now. Because God is up to something. And he's still at work. Even in the midst of what looks like chaos and the the first Christmas is proof of that. Think about it. The birth of Christ occurred during a dark period in Israel's history. The Roman government had taken over with autocratic rule. Herod, a paranoid puppet king, was on the throne and he overpowered any challenge to his authority. But it was against that backdrop that God's plan began to unfold. Looking back, we see that the timing of Christ's birth was really perfect, not just chaotic. God used the Roman invasion and occupation of Israel to lay the groundwork for Christ's ministry and spread of Christianity. Think about this. Roman occupation brought a common language, Greek, which allowed the gospel to spread. The Pax Romania, Roman peace that provided law and order, which made it possible for Jesus and his disciples to freely preach and minister in the face of extreme opposition by the religious leaders. A system of roads that the Romans brought which allowed for Jesus and his disciples, apostles, to travel to other locations throughout the empire. Tolerance of other religions, as long as 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 they were no threat to the Roman government. This is but one example of how the Lord can use what we perceive as adverse circumstances to accomplish his purpose and advance his kingdom. Think about it. With the backdrop of a dark, cruel world. Jesus Christ showed up. Emmanuel, God with us. Majesty in the midst of the mundane. Divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable, through the womb of a teenager, and in the presence of a carpenter. The one who had overlooked the universe is now a baby. 
from the robes of eternity to wrapped in rags to keep him warm. His golden, his golden throne room had been abandoned in favor of a dirty sheep pen. And worshiping angels had been replaced with the kind but bewildered shepherds. And all of this so these words could be spoken in the midst of chaos for generations to come. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace and goodwill toward men. So today I tell you that that word still holds true in the midst of our chaos. Peace. Anybody glad today that you know God and know the peace that transcends all understanding? That wasn't my message. That was just an intro. Genesis 2 and 9, if you're able to stand, I'm going to read one verse. Genesis 2 and 9. What, what a Christmas scripture, huh? Sunday before Christmas. Here it is. You ready? And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Anybody glad for food during Christmas? Sweet potato pie. Yams. Candy yams. We're going to talk about another dessert later on in the message. I promise you. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden. So he talks about bunch of trees that are good for food. Then he talks about the tree of life. And then he goes on and he talks about another tree. He talks about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now we know that they could eat of the tree of life at this point. But the tree of knowledge, God said, if you eat of it, you're going to die. Surely die. So I want to preach to you for just a while on this topic. A tale of two trees. A tale of two trees. Dear Heavenly Father, I need your anointing today. God, help me to speak your word with love and compassion, but also with authority. God, let it find good ground. Let it produce in people's lives. I give you complete glory and honor. Today is about you. Thank you for that peace that we feel in this room in the midst of chaos. In Jesus' name we pray. So I'm going to shout amen. Give the Lord another hand clap and you may be seated this morning. Anybody like Christmas time? Anybody like getting Christmas presents at Christmas time? Anybody like giving Christmas presents at Christmas time? I really don't like it, but I have to because the Bible says I do. But like most, I thoroughly enjoy the Christmas season. It's the most wonderful time of the year with the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you to be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Now, if you're like me, I'm a traditionalist. So my wife wants to go somewhere. Instead of spending our money on gifts, she wants to go on vacation during Christmas time. But that doesn't happen around my house. Put my foot down. I said, you're going to listen to me during Christmas time. <laughs> this is my season to take authority over my home. We're going to stay at the house. And we're going to open our stocking. We're going to get everything out of our stockings on Christmas Eve, and then on Christmas Day, we're going to wake up bright and early when the sun comes up, and we're going to put on a little Christmas music, and we're going to light a fire in the fireplace, and we're, going to, we're literally going to open Christmas gifts Christmas morning. So I love traditions of Christmas. I love, I love the gifts under the tree, stockings hung by the chimney with care, and if you don't have a chimney, then just somewhere in the house, candy canes, homes glistening with lights, Christmas cards, but I especially love 
Christmas trees. You can't see it today, but I actually have on a Christmas tree tie because I love Christmas trees. And I read the other day about an Englishman by the name of Greg Howe who bought a 35-foot Christmas tree for his house. Now, here's the catch. His house was only 30 feet tall. You do the math. So I have a question. Did he just put the tree on the outside of his home and decorate it there? No. What he did was he cut that tree into three almost equal parts and installed them on every floor of his house, including the roof. He put the bottom chunk that has 10-foot-long branches in the living room. The middle part was squeezed into the spare bedroom above. I think this man loved Christmas trees. And the top section measuring 15 feet was placed on the roof directly above the bedroom. It took him and seven of his friends two entire days to put the tree in place. Now, I have more respect for him for that reason because he had seven friends that come and helped him. I don't have seven friends that if I told them I have a 35-foot Christmas tree, come help me, that would show up at my house to help me put up a 35-foot Christmas tree. Then they decorated it with 160 oversized ornaments and a whopping 2,000 LED lights. It even had a star perched on the top. Greg said from the outside, it's a bit of an optical illusion because it appears to be one huge tree that has shot up through the ceilings and floorboards and out through the roof. How amazing is that? That man loves Christmas trees. He loves them. And I, I think I love them just as much as him. I just don't have a 35-foot Christmas tree to show how much I love them. But let me explain to you why I love Christmas trees. Reason number one, the greatest Christmas dessert of all time is made by little Debbie in the shape of a tree. That's number one. That should be it. You should be a fan the second reason is the smell of a Christmas tree. If you went up to my office right now, you would find a Woodwick Fraser fir candle burning in my office that smells like a Christmas tree farm. So much I love Christmas trees. So the Christmas tree wins out over every other tradition just by taste and smell alone. But the main reason for me is nostalgia. It carries a sentimental longing and wistful affection from the past for me. My wife will tell you I get sentimental. I watch Charlie Brown Christmas every year. If you don't watch it, make it a part of your tradition. See, when I was growing up, y'all don't even know nothing about this because Christmas tree forms really don't exist anymore. But when I was growing up on Thanksgiving Day after lunch, the you was full on turkey and dressing and gumbo. My entire family would go to the Christmas tree farm. To choose their tree for the Christmas season. And it was an unforgettable experience. Just rows of majestic trees waiting on us to choose one to be chopped down. And to bring home to make our Christmas season more magical. It will always have a piece of my heart. What a moment. Now, I visit the attic Christmas tree farm. And I pull down a lifeless plastic tree with a lifetime warranty. That my wife probably overpaid for because I can't get her to understand the importance of a real Christmas tree. It's like I'm living the life of the Christmas Carol story by humbug. A tale of two trees. I try to tell her every year there's no meaning 
There's no searching. There's no process. Just the same old, same old tree from a department store that looks good but doesn't produce any fragrance of life. You can't smell a plastic Christmas tree. You don't have to nurture it or water it. You just store it up in the attic and you take it out of storage when the season comes around. Merry Christmas, the tale of two trees. And at some point in life, we have to ask ourselves a question. What are we storing up during this Christmas season? Have we forfeited the search for eternal promises because of temporary pleasures? Have we lost our passion for the tree of life because we are so full of the tree of self? Has our relationship with God became a seasonal display instead of a yearly journey? Because the word says the pleasures of sin only last for a season. But then, then those choices bring death and destruction. And please hear me today. I've seen seasonal Christianity where people only decorate their lives when it's convenient to live for God. But this tree of life produces real life year round. It isn't something I do momentarily. I've got to visit this tree every day. I've got to go in search of the real every day. Because the fake never really suffices in my life. And we need to understand this. That true repentance is not putting some stuff in storage. Just in case you may need it in another season of your life. True repentance is about disposing of the temporary. And reaching for the everlasting that God has in store. It's the tale Of two trees. It's about dealing with the fake. So I can start experiencing the authentic. Jesus talked about this. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Lay not for yourselves treasures upon earth. Where moth and rust do corrupt. And where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust doeth corrupt. And where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is. Well, my heart will be also. Jesus emphasizes the spiritual over the physical. He said everyone collects treasures on earth. But if you collect treasures from the wrong tree, they won't last. That's why heavenly treasures are a far better investment. They're eternal and perishable. And he goes on to say, store your treasures where you want your heart to be. Because your heart is constantly being pulled in two directions. That's why I have to ask myself daily, what tree am I choosing from? What tree am I reaching for? Financial security, success, fame, popularity, beauty, and the list goes on and on. Or am I reaching for the tree of life more abundantly that brings wholeness and peace and joy and anointing? Which tree carries the most value in my life? Which one do I prioritize over the other? Which one am I more faithful to visit on an everyday basis? Because the Bible masterfully reflects the eternal tale Of two trees. There's a wide gate. And there's a narrow gate. There's light. And then there's darkness. There's life. And then there's death. And we also see two trees in the beginning. Among all the trees in the Garden of Eden. God identified two unique trees. The tree of life. And the tree of knowledge of good and of evil. Two trees. They could eat from the tree of life every day, but, but was told to stay away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Max Licata paints it so poetically. Seated at the great desk, the author opens the large book. 
It has no words because no words exist. No words exist because no words are needed. And there are no ears to hear them anyway. There are no eyes to read them. The author is alone. He takes the great pen and begins to write. Like an artist gathers his colors and a, one, a wood carver or his tools. The author assembles his words. There are three, three single words. And out of those three will pour millions of thoughts. But on these three words, the story will suspend. He takes his quill and he spells out the first T-I-M-E, time. Time does not exist until he wrote it. He himself is timeless, but his story would be encased in time. It would have first, it would have a first rising of the sun, a first shifting of the sand, a beginning and an end, a final chapter. And he knows it before he writes it. Time, a foot span on eternity's trail. Slowly, tenderly, the author writes the second word, a name, A-D-A-M, Adam. As he writes, he sees him, the first Adam. Then he sees all the other Adams in a thousand eras, in a thousand lands. The author sees them all. Each Adam, each child instantly loved. And to each, he assigns a time and he appoints a place. There's no accidents. There's, there's no coincidences. It's just design of the author. And then the author makes a promise to these unborn Adams. In my image, I will make you. You will be like me. You will laugh. You will create. You will never die. And you will write. They must. For each life is a book. Not to be read. But rather a story to be written. You see the author starts each life story. But each life will write his own. Or her own ending. What a dangerous liberty. How much safer it would have been to finish the story for each Adam. To script every option would have been simpler and safer. But it would not have been love. Because love is only love if it's chosen. So he creates. And God smiles at his image. And he says, it is good. The eyes open. Now the creator and created are walking on the riverbank, enjoying the tree of life, laughter, purity, innocence, joy, and life unending. Then the tree, the struggle, the snake, the lie, the enticement, heart torn, lured, the soul is drawn to pleasure, to independence, to importance, inner agony, and the question, whose will will you choose? Then the choice, the fail, the death of innocence, the entrance of death, and tear stains are now mingled with fruit stains. And the tree of knowledge that they thought would make them like God has now dethroned God in their life. They thought if they could be as wise as God, they could reign upon the throne of their heart. Think about it. They had the tree of life. The fruit was their nourishment and infused eternal life into their body and symbolized the perfect and life-giving environment God had given them to thrive. They were created to live, not to die. The tree of life was their essence. But yet, they had it all. But still, it wasn't enough. They wanted to be as wise as God, proving that wisdom 
in the wrong hands is dangerous. And we must realize from Scripture's experience that sin is not merely a physical act on our part that causes us to suffer, suffer physical consequences. Sin is first the act of the will, an act of the heart through which we devalue and offend God and say, this tree doesn't matter anymore. Let me partake of this tree. Adam and Eve did not have absolute knowledge of God. Our knowledge of good and evil. Our knowledge of everything that was good and evil from God's standpoint. So they needed divine guidance as things changed and developed in life. But then they removed God out of their daily decisions when they ate the fruit. And if the innocence is gone, what emerges is an independence that will stop us from having a deep relationship with another. Because relationship requires, requires vulnerability of need and independence denies that we have a need. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to have a relationship with someone who doesn't need you? Have you ever tried to love someone who doesn't love you back? The tree of knowledge was there to prove that they loved God above anything else. That tree was planted in the garden so that they would have a no option. Because yes doesn't really matter if you can't say no every once in a while. So we can say yes to God all we want. But how many times have we said no to this tree while we reach for this tree? The same thing is true in our life. God will put things in your life and forbid you. Things will come around your life. And God, I don't want to say put, put them in your life, but God will allow them to come in your life. And God will say, what are you going to do in the midst of this situation? What decision are you going to make? Because if you say no, you're proving to me that you love me above anything else. Because obedience validates love. And God wants to know, will we obey him enough to say no? And as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was to Adam and Eve, the purpose of that something in our lives puts us into a system so that every day we can say, no, God, I don't want that. I want this because I love you. No, God, I'm not going back to that because this is more important in my life, God. It's a tale of two trees. And I've kept this rule because I would rather choose you, God, above everything else in my life. God, it may not be a sin, God. But it's something that I put in my life that I say no to because I want you to know that this is the most important thing in my life. The tree of knowledge. When they eat the fruit, they would know to distinguish between good and evil. The expression of good and evil denotes the knowledge which infancy lacks and experience acquires. It's where we ignore the danger signs because we think we are wise enough to handle the outcome of the tree. So we ignore the warning. Because we say to ourselves, I can eat of the tree because I'm wise enough to get myself out of this. They'll never find out. So we dethrone God. And we choose of the tree because we think we have the knowledge and the ability to get ourselves out of the condition that we put ourselves in. But hear me, we have to be careful choosing this tree because we'll become addicted to something not meant for us. And we'll dedicate ourselves and everything around us to quenching that thirst for that addiction that we was never meant to try. 
We become consumed with ourselves, our lifestyles, and this world that we forget the tree of life and the eternal world to come. It's our choice. And just like Adam and Eve, the author decides to give each child a pen and tell us, write carefully. So God sent down cherubims from heaven. And he said to Adam and Eve, he said, I'm going to drive you out of your honeymoon suite. I'm going to send you out into the world. You're going to be in the world, but not of it. You came from here. You're going there. I'm placing my cherubim with a flaming sword that turns every way and it will block the way back to the tree of life. Because if man was to get to the tree of life in his fallen state, he would be eternally damned. And God said, I have to stand by my word. And there are consequences to actions. And I told you if you eat of this tree... And the reason God blocked the way to the tree of life was so that man could not get to life. And the further he gets away from the tree, believe me, I know, the more his knees start to hurt. And his back starts to hurt. And his hair starts to thin. And the wrinkles become more prevalent in his face because the further they get away from that tree of life, the less life begins to flow in their life because the tree of life... Even though Adam and Eve isn't there, it's still giving life to everything in the garden. It still has all the power it ever had. But man cannot reach it because of a decision of this tree. And every time that man would reach for the tree of life, that cherubim would swing, swing that flaming sword and say, you can't have the fruit of this tree because of the decision you made. And then the quest begins. And the story unfolds. Abram. Abraham, you will be a father of a nation. And Abraham, please tell my people I love them. Moses, I know, I know they're far away from the tree of life. But Moses, you will deliver my people. And Moses, please, please remind my people that I love them. Joshua, you will lead the chosen ones. Joshua, please, please just tell them. I know they can't get to the tree of life just yet. But please tell them I love them. David, you will reign over the people. And David, tell the people I love them. Jeremiah, you will bear tidings of bondage. But Jeremiah, remind my children, remind my children, Jeremiah, that I still love them. And then you have altars. And you have sacrifices. And then you've got rebelling. And then you've got returning. And then you've got reacting. And then you've got repenting. Then you've got romance, you've got tablets, you've got judges, you've got pillars, you've got bloodshed, you've got wars, kings, giants, laws, Hezekiah, Nehemiah, Hosea, God watching, never turning, ever loving, ever yearning from the, for the garden experience again. Then you have an empty throne, spirit descending, hushed angels, and lovely, lovingly, deliberately, the author writes the third word. Emmanuel, God with us, the greatest mind in the universe, imagine time, the truest judge granted Adam a choice, but it was love that the author sit down at his desk and wrote Emmanuel, God with us, and the author would step from his throne and enter the story of fallen humanity. He too would be born. He too would be human. He too would have feet and hands and tears and flesh. What a paradox. 
The one who holds the world in his hands, held in a manger, the eternal one caught in a moment of time. Omnipresence captured in a baby, omnipotence cradled in a helpless infant who could not even raise his head from the straw. And omniscience confined in a baby who could not say a word. The Christ who created the heavens and the earth cradled in a manger in a cave stable. What unassuming love, what divine wisdom, what a far-reaching grace. For when God drew near in the cold, cruel, suffering world, He was reaching for fallen humanity. He placed a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. And this is what he said. And this sign is for you. You will find a baby wrapped. In swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I want you to study that. If you study swaddling clothes, you know what they were? They were found in medical works of the time. These clothes were used as burial wrappings. And many homes had them in case someone died. For death could be quick and sudden in the pre-science age. It was appropriate that he who was born to die would be wrapped. In grave clothes. And laid in a manger. It's interesting to me. That after the decision of Adam and Eve. We find a theme through scripture. Where a tree is a symbol of a curse. Deuteronomy tells us. His body shall not remain all night upon the tree. But thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hinged is accursed of God. That thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. However, you turn to Exodus 15, 23 through 25 at the bitter waters of Moriah. The Lord showed Moses a tree that it was tossed into the water. The water became sweet. So while on one hand we have these passages that refer to the curse of sin. On the other hand, we have passages that point to another tree that will overcome the bitterness of the decision of mankind. Paul tells us in Galatians 3, it points to one historical earth-shattering, sun-stopping event that allowed man to enjoy the presence of the tree of life again. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And then Paul goes on to Galatians 4, 4 through 5. And this is what he says. He says, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons, a tree of curse that would become a tree of blessing. You see, he too would make a choice. And once again, we have a tree. Once again, we have a struggle. Once again, we have a snake, the enticement, heart torn, Lord. And once again, the question, who's will? Emmanuel would stand at the crossroads of the life and death of life and death. And he would have to make a choice. And the author knows well the weight of this decision. He pauses as he writes his own page. He could stop. But how can love not love? So he chooses life. Though it means death. With the hope that his children will one day make the same choice. And as the author of life completes the story. 
They drive the spikes in the flesh and they pierced his side because the only thing that could stop the flaming sword of the cherubim was the cross of Christ. And Isaiah tells us, tells us that he bore our griefs and he bore our sorrows. Isaiah tells us that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Do you catch that? Jesus died on this tree. So that I can have access to life. Jesus Christ never lied. But he went to this tree and became a liar. So that I don't have to live by this tree anymore. He never committed adultery. But he went to this tree and became adultery for everyone who's ever fallen short. He didn't commit the act. But he symbolized the act when he was lifted up on the tree. And at the cross, Jesus became the epitome of every wicked, immoral, and treacherous thing anyone has ever done. He became sin, even though he knew no sin. He became the embodiment of every atom that ate of the tree and was born into sin and shaping it to iniquity. That one day, we can make a decision. A tail of two trees. Oh, Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree. How lovely are your branches. I understand what Paul wrote when he said the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who have partaken of this tree... To those who has experienced mercy when we didn't deserve mercy and grace. To those that have fallen short. To us that has been saved. It's the power of God. And I can tell you every day. I've been in this for a long time. But every day I make the journey to the foot of this tree. Because there's always the pull to go back to this tree. And I tell God I don't want to make the wrong choice. Musicians, you can come. Access back to life. He takes the tree, a symbol of evil and rejection. And he gives us access back to the tree of life. It was one thing for Christ to enter the womb. But it's quite another for Christ to be willing to enter the tomb. And the author rolls the stone over the grave. Tear stains mingle with blood stains. Relationship restored and Bridges established once again. God smiles. It's good. For just as death came by means of a man. In the same way the rising from death comes by means of a man. For just as all men die because of their union to Adam. In the same way we can all live because of our union to Jesus Christ. Knowing the choice he will make. Knowing the choice all Adams will make. He pins the crescendo. It is finished. And he closes the book and he proclaims the beginning. Let there be light. And the stone is rolled away. And the Savior who defeated death, hell, and the grave emerges. Preacher, what, 
What in the world? You told us the story of the beginning and you mixed it all together with the story of Christ. Well, have you ever read 2 Timothy 1 and 9? Watch what 2 Timothy 1 and 9 says. They're going to put it on the screen. He who has saved us and called us within a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Are you ready? In Genesis, when the story's beginning, the tree of knowledge was already written into the story. But the cross... He looked ahead to 2020. And he said, there's going to be people that's going to set that little river and it's going to be a tale of two trees. When you get some chance, read, when you get a chance, read Revelation 22 where it talks about the tree of life again. A tree that produces fruit in every season. It's a tree of life for healing of all nations. And, and it gives perfect life. And the leaves prevent sickness and disease. And they give the person who eats from this tree perfect harmony with God. This symbolizes the perfection that Jesus Christ gives. The perfect healing and deliverance from all suffering that he gives. I don't know if you visited this tree in a while. I don't know if this means anything to you anymore. To my life, it's been a tale of two trees. And all creation is groaning. I did something I shouldn't have done. I went and shot basketball Tuesday night. I didn't play real hard. I didn't go 110%. But I ain't been able to walk for three days. All creation groans because of this tree. Some of you woke up this morning, literally it took you 20 minutes to get out of bed. Ugh. Literally, I got four different gels I use on my hair to make it look thicker. You got to spray it, blow dry it, gel it, hairspray it, blow dry. Whole process. There's people today that have a belt around their arm and a needle in their hand. There's people today that are locked up suicidal because all creation groans because of this tree. We all wake up every morning to the pull of this tree. But can I tell you today, we don't have to be sad because if we ever get the cross back in the church, all creation will rejoice over this tree. <laughs> because one day I'm going to inherit a body that's not going to ache. There's going to be no more pain. There's no going to be no more tears. No more suffering. It's a tale of two trees. I close with this. Max Licata shared a true story of something that happened at Disney World. It took place at a location called Cinderella's Castle place was packed with kids and parents all waiting to see the princess. Cinderella entered the room. She was beautiful, each hair in place. Flawless skin and a beaming smile. She stood waist deep in a garden of kids, each wanting to touch and be touched by Cinderella. A few feet away from the crowd of children, there was a boy holding his elder brother's hand. He was maybe seven or eight years old, but he was disfigured, his face deformed. And he stood watching quietly 
and longingly. You know what he wanted? He wanted to be with the other children. He longed to be in the middle of the kids reaching out for the hand of Cinderella, calling her name. Enjoying her attention. But he was afraid. He was afraid that the other kids would make fun of him. He was afraid of rejection. Afraid of being mocked and taunted and made fun of. And then Cinderella looked up and saw him. Immediately she began walking in his direction. Politely but firmly inching through the crowd of children. She finally broke free. And she walked quickly across the floor and knelt at eye level with the stunned little boy disfigured. And she placed a kiss on his face. And the little boy was overtaken with joy. It was a beautiful moment. It was a, a touching moment that literally had tears in everybody's eyes that watched. Then Lakato noted, and yet Cinderella couldn't do anything more than give a disfigured child a kiss. When she stood to leave, she took her beauty with her because she couldn't put it on the child. The boy was still deformed. Yet the Bible tells us that Jesus took off his majesty. He took off his power and might and he stepped down from heaven to become like us. Jesus allowed himself to become disfigured and beaten on a tree so that he could wrap us in his beauty and love. Isaiah 53 says he was disfigured. He had no beauty that we should desire. He was despised and rejected by men. He was pierced. He was crushed for our iniquities. Our sins deformed him. And they sacrificed the Savior. But when they took him off that tree. And they put him in a tomb. Three days later he walked out. And he gave us a message of grace and redemption. And when we showed up disfigured at the cross spiritually or mentally or emotionally, we don't have to leave disfigured because he'll wrap us in grace. And it doesn't matter the bad decisions that you made. It doesn't matter how many times you've eaten from this tree when you kneel. God, I'm sorry. Every day, let me make the journey to this tree. Because there's an enemy. There's a lure. There's a struggle and there's a battle, God. And then there's a question, who's whip? And today, that blood that flows from Calvary that's washed me white as snow. I don't care if I pastor Little River. I don't care what level people think I'm on spiritually, God. Every day, it's a tale of two trees. And God, on a Sunday morning before Christmas, don't let me forget the importance to visit the tree.
Please forgive me. But when you see a world that is hurting and dying and every day you sit in counseling sessions with people that are battling because of this tree. But yet every Sunday they have an opportunity to choose this tree. But yet just like on the hill of Golgotha, it moved some to kneel down, but others just rejected and turned away. So I'm going to ask them, if they will, I want you to dim the lights. I don't want anybody to feel out of place. I know I was supposed to preach a simple message today about Christmas. But there's a call today. There's a call. Does anybody still need this tree in their life? Thank you for watching today. If you would like to help us deliver content around the world online, please consider making a donation. Please go to littleriver.church and choose what option works best for you. Thank you and have a great day.